spending time is the most difficult thing to do when you're in a rush constantly being pressured to produce, but that is also the most crucial part. If you don't have the strategy, if you don't have the planning, there's very little likelihood that what you're creating is going to be worth all of the effort. So investing that on the front end for interactive content is really critical. The B2B Marketing Exchange brings together B2B marketing and sales practitioners from across the country to get the latest tools and tips they need to succeed. Now, we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. I'm Claudia Tarico, And I'm Kelly Lindenow. And this is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the B2BMX Podcast. We are here in lovely Scottsdale, Arizona at our B2B Marketing Exchange event, and truthfully, I'm feeling a little bit robbed by this weather. I was expecting high 70s here, and we're sitting at a solid 60. The struggle is real, folks. But it's okay, because I have a little piece of sunshine here with me, and this is where all the exciting stuff is happening. So I am here with Alexis Carroll, a content strategist for Content for Demand. Alexis, how's it going? It's great. I'm having a wonderful time. I have never been in a room with this many amazing people at the same time. No other conference. It's very humbling, too, how intelligent and smart these people are, you know? Absolutely. So with that, what's been the most exciting part of the event for you? Well, yesterday we had a workshop, and we had over 50 people in the room. And you know, sometimes it's the first day, it's Monday morning, sometimes people are reticent. Let me tell you what, there were 50 people in there that came to play. And for the entire workshop, there was, there was interaction. Everybody was really sharing their ideas, best practices. And so by the time I was done, accidentally we didn't even take a break because we were on a roll and everybody was just really developing in there. So it was great fun. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to top that with the rest of the show, although we've met some really cool vendors as well. But I think just seeing that many people that are in the middle of, they're in the soup with marketing and they're ready to talk about what solutions could work. Truthfully, it does feel like you've peaked, but that's okay. That's all we need. <laughs> that's okay. That's not a first time for me. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So now I'm just going to color it in a little bit for our listeners. So you hosted, like you said, a workshop style session all about content creation, specifically with the focus on buyer specific content. So what were some of the key takeaways you had there? Well, the number one sounds basic, but it is one of the most difficult, and that is having an audience focus. Where we all, Marketing 101, we know that, but then when you get into a team, at least one stakeholder leader is going to come in and say, well, you're not pitching us. But keeping the audience focus is actually the most important thing you can do with content. And I talk about how it's like a cocktail party. If you walk up and talk about yourself first, not only is no one giving you the phone number, but you're not even going to continue the conversation. So how can you lead with thought leadership, interesting information that will help people know Yes, you're speaking to them. So that's one. And the next thing we talked about is what are the tools and approaches that you can use to maximize your impact? Because nobody has a limitless budget. So are there some things that you can build that will draw in all of the audience members you need, like the right vehicle for that and get the right messaging and get it in the right place, which that's the whole trick. Perfect. So now let's dive a little deeper into the specifics here. So can you just walk me through the steps that organizations can take to get to know their buyer personas better to start tailoring that content toward them? Yes, and I actually want to say up front that when we were working on this workshop, 
I've been playing a lot with ChatGPT, just like everyone else, great fun. I decided to see if it could build a persona. And whereas I've been disappointed with it in some other areas, it did a really nice job. So I will say that building personas is such a labor-intensive project. It's really crucial if you're going to have effective marketing tools, but it's not easy. And I was really pleased with it. So I would say experiment with that. Throw in, see if you can build a persona in ChatGPT. All right, so let's focus on ChatGPT a little bit more. You said that it fell short in some areas. Could you kind of elaborate on what those areas were? Yes, I have been working with other strategists at Content for Demand. We decided that we would test a whole bunch of tools and see how they stack up and how they could be useful to us in the agency, but also to our clients, right? And so I don't love where it is, let's say, doing a blog post. The mm-hmm. links, a lot of the links are expired because it's, you know, it's trolling the web on old data. However, I think of it like it's the quality that an intern would bring you. It's an excellent start. You're going to have to work from there, but I think that it's still limited. I don't want people to be afraid of using it and experimenting with it because the whole point of technology is to make our lives easier. And I think that can really happen. I saw an interview with Sam Altman, who is the CEO of OpenAI, and he said that no matter what, AI will never replace the human-to-human interaction. And that's really important. As marketers, don't be worried about your job. I mean, maybe eventually we're all going to be at home, but don't worry about your job because a computer cannot understand the human-to-human thing, and that's the crux of what we do, is understanding people and how do you move people to act. Absolutely. So now with that understanding of people, I'm obviously now going to shift us back to content. With all these new technologies and advances, are there any sort of newer content types that you see are rising in popularity? We're doing a lot of interactive stuff. And I think that not only does it help you reach multiple personas, because the way the buyer's journey is a jumble, you can really hit a lot of stages of content, you can hit a lot of personas, and it's fun. A white paper still has absolutely has a use for that, but there is nothing like clicking through and essentially playing a video game at work. You know what I'm saying? And so we have really, really skillful designers that make that easier. I will say they're using Ceros. That's what we use because it's a no-code solution. We're doing a whole lot of those, a whole lot of interactives. All right, perfect. That is the segue I needed to focus on interactive content in general. So I know you kind of touched on it, but why would you say that interactive content is rising in popularity in general and kind of what are some of the outside trends that are influencing it? Well, I think that part of it is just the way our brains work. I mean, everything is digital. We're on our phones all the time. We're watching videos all the time. And so to have an ebook, again, still important to have that, but that is a shift and it's not necessarily the way that we prefer to take in information. But I think that really it is giving a Swiss army knife approach because with an interactive piece, the user knows what it is they want. We can guess by building personas and so forth, but then once you have them using it, you can tell. The data that that is going to pull for you is going to show you what is popular, what is being used. And I think that if you're going to invest in content, it's really not a bad idea to have something that can do that kind of double duty for you. So now, on the surface, interactive content seems a little bit intimidating to someone who's not really well-versed in it. 
So for practitioners who are kind of hesitant about it or haven't fully embraced interactive content yet, do you have any sort of recommendations on what they could do to get started? I think that the reason why we're using a no-code solution is so that things are simplified for clients and for their IT. Mm -hmm. The most important part of the whole process is the designer that you're working with. Now, we're really lucky at C4D. We have designers that have been doing this forever. And usually with a client, we'll have a technical call at the beginning so that everybody understands what's going to be required. So I would say spend some time on the front end. Now, for me, I think spending time is the most difficult thing to do when you're in a rush constantly being pressured to produce. But that is also the most crucial part. If you don't have the strategy, if you don't have the planning, there's very little likelihood that what you're creating is going to be worth all of the effort. So investing that on the front end for interactive content is really critical. All right, perfect. So now I'm going to shift gears a little bit here and focus on content mapping. So with that in mind, what are some of the key factors, again, that practitioners need to keep in mind when they're reviewing their content strategies to properly map things out? Well, we do content audits, and that is something that you really, really do want to have a third party for because you need that bird's eye view of how your content is conveying your message and which pieces are functional or need to be retired or so forth. But a gap analysis is an excellent place to start there. And you can do that on your own or you can hire someone else. I would say if you can get eyes that are not tired of the copy, that is a best practice for sure. But what we can do by that is make sure that everything that is live actually is still compelling. And I like to use those existing pieces that are still working and weave them into my current campaigns that I'm building out with new content, right? So that we're not buying a whole new wardrobe, we're having our wardrobe that is working already and we're adding some fantastic shoes, a purse, so forth. And that's what the interactive or the new content would do. That is the perfect metaphor for it. You need a little bit of accessorizing Everything here Everything is about the shoes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, <laughs> so now we have some demand gen report research that kind of shows that certain types of content are more useful in the early stage, the middle stage, late stage. So as someone who's on the front lines of the content battle, could you kind of share what formats work the best at each stage? I can, and I do want to say up front that everyone in the workshop agreed, but we see with our clients that the middle stage is the hardest. That's what people are usually lacking. In early stage content, I really like thought leadership. I really like doing influencer pieces. There's so many brilliant minds out there, and if you can capture some of their essence, you can create some really compelling content, and then they're motivated to share. So you have an exponential reach, essentially. So that's what I recommend frequently in early stage content. You want to make sure that it is not about you. I don't want to hear anything about you in the first second you walk up to me at the cocktail party. You know, I just want to know generally what are you doing, and I want to get to know you. So we got to remember that in early stage. When you move on to the middle stage content, I think the problem is people don't quite understand what it needs to be. And that's why my metaphor works, is that at that stage, you're still talking, getting to know each other, we're diving a little deeper into things. And then at the end, you can introduce a little bit about yourself. But part of what you're doing is building the trust and showing that you understand fully their pain and you understand exactly how you can affect that and what their life is going to look like afterwards. So we do a lot of checklists, Q&As here, and buyer guides as well. That way people know, okay, 
you're actually going to support me through the entire buying process and then afterwards. In late stage content, there are a million different ways. Everybody has an easy time about this because all the stakeholders are like finally cheering that you're able to talk about yourself. But even then, I really think a case study is worth more than just about anything. And a case study portfolio is something that we do frequently. When you take multiple case studies, you're now hitting multiple issues that your prospects are struggling with. And if they share that content with their buying committee or so forth, then everyone can drive their own experience and make sure that they see the testimonials that are most critical to their part of the business. So those are the things that we find the most success with and also those are great fun to be creating, those case study portfolios, and they give you a wealth of testimonial options as well. Awesome. So then obviously we have certain aspects of our world right now are pretty bleak to say the least between the impending recession and all these tech layoffs we're hearing about. So how are you staying inspired during these times and where do you look for inspiration? And similarly, where do you suggest our listeners look for inspiration? Well, this may be odd, but I'm gonna give you my best trick and that is I read fiction. It's really hard after you've gone through a day of reading and writing and reading and editing to wanna read again. But I feel like having the magic of words that you don't get paid for is a really nice break. So I think part of how I stay excited is I'm constantly refreshing my brain. And we don't often have a lot of time for that, right? I mean, work is pressure. There aren't enough people. Budgets are stretched. People are trying to do at least one job, sometimes more than that, right? And so I think that what tools can we use so that we can stretch out resources, time? I think AI that's why this is so important to us, right? But also, a lot of people come to us, come to the agency because they just don't have the number of people on the ground. And they don't want to necessarily have another wreck, but they need specific content that could actually be doing some heavy lifting. Because if you don't have enough people, the last thing you want to do is just be ginning out 150 blog posts a week. You know what I'm saying? Like, you need something that can really actually drive business. So Awesome. So we did get a little dark there, so I would like to end this can- this podcast on a little bit of a fun note. So we have this beautiful roulette wheel next to us. It okay. is labeled with a bunch of numbers. Each number corresponds to a question. So I'm going to go ahead and have you give that wheel a spin to see what mystery question you'll get. I'm just glad we're not doing like the hot sauce challenge, right? That's what Claudia wanted. <laughs> that would be a hard no for me. <laughs> question number three. So question number three is what is the most influential trend in B2B marketing today? I mean, I think it has to be AI. I feel like we've been talking about that constantly, but that's what so many of the sessions, people that I'm talking to in the hallways, that's what we're all talking about. And I don't think it's necessarily a scary thing. At this point, we all know that we can be harnessing this to make our lives easier, which is is marvelous. I think it's really exciting to be at the beginning of something Sadly, I was around at the beginning of the internet in a way, right? So I watched that grow. And I think it's really cool that we have a new toy that is going to completely revolutionize the way we do marketing and the way we live. All right, perfect. So we still have a little bit of time left. So go ahead and give that wheel another spin so we can keep you in the hot seat. All right. Question number 12. All right. So what aspects of marketing pose the biggest challenge for you? I think that there are certain personas that are difficult and salespeople will have the pushback from them. No, we don't have that in our budget. I mean, who has heard that nine gazillion times, right? So 
I think that building out a persona and then thinking through how it is you're going to persuade a accountant-minded person that this solution is going to make a difference. For normal people, is that mean? Accountants aren't normal to me because they do math well. So I think that for normal people, you're thinking about how's your day going to change? Like how is your day-to-day at work functionality going to change? And I think that they have a little bit different calculus. And so zeroing in on that, that is a challenge for me. And I think that's a challenge for most companies. And it takes a lot of dependence on communication between sales and marketing to overcome that. All right, beautiful. So unfortunately, we are just about at time today. Alexis, thank you so much for joining us. This conversation was so delightful and I hope to have you back again soon. Wonderful. I can't wait to be back next year too. Perfect. We'll see you then. Thanks a lot. All right, everyone. So that is a wrap on today's episode. Once again, I'd like to thank you all so much for tuning in today. And as always, make sure to subscribe to the pod on your podcast player of choice. You know, we want you to stay in the loop for our future episodes. So again, please connect with us on LinkedIn and Twitter to share your thoughts on today's episode and even suggest future topics you'd like to hear about. Thank you all again for listening today. We'll talk soon.